Hello and welcome to this edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Sophie Fisher. Is the menopause a workplace issue? Should it be? Traditionally, it's been regarded as a medical or personal issue affecting women and their families only. But a growing amount of research shows that the menopause is driving women out of the workforce, creating losses in talent, skills and productivity. So, is it time for the actors in the world of work to get more engaged with this issue? With me today are Dr. Louise Newson, who is a leading menopause specialist and founder of the Balance Menopause app, and Professor Joe Brewis of the UK's Open University Business School. Professor Brewis is the lead author of a report commissioned by the UK government on the effects of menopause transition on women's economic participation in the UK. Ladies, welcome to you both and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Sophie. Um, Louise, can I start with you, since you are the doctor? Everybody knows about the menopause, and we know about symptoms like hot flushes. But I think your research has shown that it goes much further than that. There are far more symptoms, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, oestrogen, the main hormone, we have receptors in cells all over our bodies, so it can affect anywhere in our bodies, actually. Um, and I, I realise more that I speak to people, the symptoms that affect people the, the worst, if you like, at work, the symptoms such as fatigue, memory problems, anxiety, brain fog, just reduced stamina, reduced motivation. Um, and those symptoms actually mean often that women are, are not being putting themselves forward for promotion, they're leaving their jobs, they're changing their jobs, they're reducing their hours. And it's really sad for me as a physician, knowing that we have an evidence-based treatment and we have also nice guidance showing us that the majority of women benefit from that treatment, yet only the minority of women are taking it. So it's no surprise that, as you say, it's not just it's not just um family and friends and relatives that are affected um, by the menopause, but people in the workplace, because women are really struggling out there to hold their jobs. And I completely understand why when they've got menopausal and perimenopausal symptoms. Okay, so let's just nail down exactly what are we talking about here and what kind of age range is it affecting? So the average age, not that any woman's average, but the average age of the menopause in the UK is 51. The menopause is when our periods stop. It's actually a year after our periods stop. So a lot of women have a hormonal decline in their 40s because they can be perimenopausal. So that's when they start to experience menopausal symptoms, but their periods are changing either in nature or frequency. So if most women go through the menopause or start going through the menopause when they're in their early 50s, that means a lot of women in their 40s are experiencing perimenopausal symptoms. But we also know that one in 100 women under the age of 40 are menopausal. So they have an early menopause. So there's lots of women out there in their 20s and 30s who are experiencing menopausal or perimenopausal symptoms. The menopause... It doesn't just mean that our periods stop and our symptoms stop. So a lot of women in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s actually are experiencing menopausal symptoms. And so a lot of people find that symptoms such as hot flushes and sweats 
actually improve with time, but other symptoms such as the low mood, anxiety, memory problems, sometimes headaches, muscle and joint pains, they often start or then start to worsen when women are a bit older. And is, is this just affecting women? Because men have changes in, in their hormone levels at about the same time, yeah? They can do so. Some men have testosterone deficiency, but it's not 100% of men. It's, this is talking, we're talking about 100% of women will become menopausal. And for men, it's different. They can have their hormone levels checked to see whether they have low testosterone or not. With women, it's a diagnosis based on symptoms. You can't do a blood test um, or a saliva test or a urine test to check for the menopause. When I was researching this podcast, one of the things that that surprised me was the fact that the symptoms uh, extended into areas such as anxiety, confidence, memory. And one of the, the things that was constantly mentioned by, by women were things like brain fog. Um, there was uh, one woman who made a program about this who said, I thought I was getting early onset dementia. Now, when you deal with people, when people come into your surgery, how common is it to report symptoms of that level of severity? Very common. Um, The majority of women I see have really bad psychological symptoms, and you're absolutely right, a lot of them are very worried that they think they're going to have dementia or the early stages of dementia. It's very, very frightening when your brain doesn't work. But we have receptors for cells in our brains that respond to estrogen and testosterone. And both these hormones, we don't realize how important they are until they're missing. Um, so it, it, they're very common, these symptoms. Yet often women are being told that they're depressed or they've got mood changes because of another reason. And it's not until you balance their hormones back, you know it's related to their hormones because their symptoms improve with the right dose and type of HRT. So, so that means we can rule out the fact that it's simply other, other midlife issues like additional responsibility, declining physical abilities and so on? Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, the menopause often occurs at a time when we're busy with our jobs, families, whether they're children or elderly relatives. We're pulled in lots of directions. And I think for too long, people have thought, well, that's because that's the reason I'm feeling like this. But actually, we have to think about hormones. And the other thing for me as a physician, I'm very interested in the long-term health risks of having low hormone levels. So we're talking about symptoms which are very important. But we also need to remember that women who have low hormone levels have an increased risk of osteoporosis, heart disease, diabetes, and dementia. And as we're staying in the workforce for longer, that means that we'll have more women who are older who will then be exposed and increase their risk of these diseases unless they have their hormones back. Right. Let me bring in uh, Professor Brewis at this point, uh, because, Joe, you've been looking at um, the issue of the menopause um, from the aspect of economic participation. And as um, Louise Newson has just said, I mean, we have an ageing workforce, not just in the UK, but but generally in, in the developed world. Um, we have an ageing workforce. We will have more women of this age participating. What sort of um, economic and professional consequences did you find when you were doing your report? 
Yes, thank you, Sophie. Um, not just the report, but the stuff that we've done subsequently and, and all the other excellent research, which is really beginning to grow now into, into menopause in terms of how it affects the workplace and, and how workplace, in fact, can exacerbate menopausal symptoms. Um, everything that Louise has said, I, I completely agree with. Um, I think one of the things that she said very clearly, which is so important, is that, you know, the, the commonest symptoms that we think about in terms of menopause are things like hot flushes. And there's certainly evidence that they cause a lot of problems in the workplace because sometimes they're visible. They can affect women's concentration. Women can find them stressful in terms of they think it's affecting their professional demeanor and their ability to present themselves at work. But, but more than that, it's the brain fog. It's the memory loss. It's the fatigue. And so what we're saying, or what we're seeing rather, um, is some uh, really quite startling statistics that were published earlier this year, which suggests that if a woman has one, only one, and most of us have more than one, problematic menopausal symptom at the age of 50, what these researchers discovered by using UK government data was that five years later at the age of 55, they are 43% more likely to have left their jobs altogether and 23% more likely to have reduced their hours. So what you're seeing there is exactly as Louise and you have discussed, Sophie, um, effectively a brain drain from the workplace, women reducing their hours, leaving work. That affects employers in terms of all the skills and talent and experience that's walking out the door and the cost of recruiting and replacing um, or putting in new staff to replace those women. And it also has a real impact on women themselves, of course, because, you know, work involves financial security, but it also involves self-esteem and um, social support. We get those very important psychological boosters from work. So that it's, it's almost like a vicious circle, if you like. So we hear a lot of talk about concern on getting women into what are often called the C-suite jobs. In other words, senior management, running companies, uh, senior other, other white-collar professions. Is there a link between these two things, do you think, or is that going too far? Well, I think it's a really interesting question, Sophie, actually. It's, it's not something that I can comment on with confidence in terms of the research that exists. But if you ask me anecdotally and in terms of my own instincts, if you like, certainly it's the case that um, menopause comes along. And I, I think it's also important to say that not every woman um, has a problematic menopause. You know, there are people who quite literally sail through it. But best estimates suggest probably about three quarters of us have symptoms and at least a quarter of those have really problematic and debilitating symptoms. And I don't think it's any coincidence, actually, um, that, you know, menopause is coming along just at the time when many of us are really looking to or have already succeeded in attaining senior positions. And of course, the last thing that you want, um, particularly if you're um, moving into or wanting to move into those C-suite jobs, is a set of symptoms which really can knock you off balance. Now, there have been a number of articles in the papers about this issue and reading the comments at the bottom, one or one that comes up quite regularly is basically along the lines of, well, if women aren't up to the job for whatever reason, they should just like step aside and why should employers make concessions? So I'd like to ask both of you what, what your response is to that. Whose problem is it? 
<laughs> Louise, you want to go first or shall I? I think it, this is a very interesting question and it's one that I think about a lot, actually. And I've often said, um, I think it's a real shame that it's it's led to almost thinking about it as a workplace uh, problem because in an ideal world, women would be receiving the treatment that they deserve and ask for. And, w- and then that would result in far less women suffering and far less women having a problem in the workplace. So this wouldn't even be a conversation. Um, This goes back to the fact that the minority of women are receiving evidence-based treatment. If you had something like a broken arm um, at work, you wouldn't have a broken arm policy, because I'm hoping if I've broken my arm and it looked very painful and a bit deformed, one of my managers or one of the team would say to me, Louise, that looks really painful. I know where the local A&E department is. Go down there, sort out your arm, come back when it's fixed. And that would be job done. If I had menopausal brain fog, memory problems, I was an emotional wreck at work. The last thing I would want my employer to do is say, Louise, you're really performing badly at work. Your menopause will go home, reduce your hours, reduce your pay, don't go for promotion. What I would love my employer to do is say, Louise, have you thought about the menopause? Perhaps you know there's this fantastic clinic or you can go to your GP and get the treatment. When you're better, you can come back and hopefully you'll go for that promotion that you want. This is where we should be talking over the next few years as treatment of the menopause improves because, you know, we've got safe treatment. We're talking about hormone deficiency. We don't have this for hypothyroidism because people have thyroxine. This is no different. So, and I feel sorry for workplaces because there's a lot of pressure on them to change their policies. Very important. We've got a really robust menopause policy here where I work, where I employ dozens of menopausal women. But we have to be thinking about helping them get the right treatment. Yeah, I agree with Louise to some extent, but not completely. Um, I, you know, I fully support the appropriate um, hormone replacement therapy can, can work wonders for the vast majority of women, and, and I'm one of those women. Um, that said, I think actually that um, to suggest that a, a, the the natural way that the female body is constructed, its biological composition um, and the things that it goes through because of the way that it's constructed um, should be ignored and overlooked in the workplace, as is suggested by some of the below the line commentary, as as you've said, Sophie, in, in the newspapers. I actually find that really quite frustrating and, and not to say annoying. Um, you know, is is are, are we then going back to the um, the very good policies that most workplaces have now around pregnancy and maternity leave and suggesting that they should be removed? And if a woman decides that she's going to um, fall pregnant and have children, that she just needs to leave her job because that's just something that the employer can't be expected to cope with. Um, I think it's also really important to say that a lot of the things that menopausal policies um, actually enshrine, if you like, in the workplace are things that good employers should be doing anyway. So one of the key examples here is flexible work. So in the UK, anybody who has worked for the same employer for more than 20, 26 weeks, yes, I think that's right, um, six months, basically, has the legal right to request flexible working. So this is something that's already enshrined in employment legislation. And flexible work is often something that can really help menopausal women if they're having particularly symptomatic days, for example. We've also learned that through the pandemic, those of us who do office-based work, like myself, 
um, although it's not ideal to be working at home all the time, it's actually reasonably straightforward once you've sorted out some of the technological issues. So I feel as if there's actually quite a lot of things that employers could be doing that actually should be open to anybody who would benefit from them. But I also believe that in a lot of organisations, the only way to make sure that menopausal women can access those things is by having a menopausal policy. Louise, what can what measures can you suggest for um, workplaces and employers to uh, to accommodate uh, people suffering from the menopause, women suffering from the menopause? I think the most important thing is talking about it. Actually, like we've done, as Joe said, for for pregnancy, it's really important that it's acknowledged. It's the same for mental health. You know, there's great work with mental health awareness, and I think it, that should be really top of people's policies is making awareness something and I'm not saying that women of menopausal women should walk around with a badge saying I'm menopausal give me some space it's about um having that conversation and you know I I really struggled with symptoms five years ago and I'm really embarrassed because I'm a menopause specialist I was creating my menopause doctor website and I still didn't recognize my symptoms I couldn't remember the name of drugs I was running late the whole time I was very emotional at work I had very low self-esteem and I was worried about my memory if someone had come into my room then and said Louise I've got this leaflet do you think you know you're 45 and somebody could just maybe point me into the right direction of getting some more information that would have saved me four or five months thinking I'm going to have to give up working as a doctor this is really scary and so it, it is this awareness piece is really important what women do about their treatment for their menopause is entirely individualized and it's up to them but it's about having that conversation because there are a lot of women out there who are not going for promotion you know we found that um just it was just a survey that we did that 50% of those surveyed, and there were 3,800 women, 50% of them had resigned or took early retirement due to their symptoms. Now, that's a real shame. You know, as Joe said, we are losing some great people, and it's costing the economy a lot of money. Um, but women should have a choice. But sadly, we know a lot of women are signed off with anxiety or stress when they are menopausal. So we need to make, make it more of an open conversation. Is really important. And do you think um, workers' organisations and unions have a role to play here as well? I, I see that the UK's Trade Union Congress has already produced a guide on this. Yeah, I think it's really important. I think, um, you know, if you look at the um, what a disability means, the menopause is a disability for a lot of women. Um, it really has very disastrous effects for a lot of women. Most women I speak to in my clinic have given up their job. Many of them, their partners have left them. They are in a real crisis and no one has helped them at all. I'm not saying that they should get their help 100% from their employee, but these women don't want to give up their work. They really don't. So it should be a pincher movement almost, almost that you know people at home are helping, people in the workplace are helping. And above all, healthcare professionals should be helping, giving women individualised advice and treatment, and the treatment that they want is really important. Uh, and I think we should we should stress here, shouldn't we, that this is not just um, something that affects uh, women in uh, the developed world and who work in white collar jobs in offices. Um, I think. It, it affects all women, those who work in, in blue-collar jobs in the developing world too. But do we know that much about them? No, we don't. Um, 
that's the the vast majority of the research that exists around uh, the connections between menopause and work um, is done in the global north and the vast majority is also done on women in the white collar professional managerial research we badly need um, research elsewhere in the world and we also badly need research that covers um, the jobs that the vast majority of women do, which are not necessarily white collar professional or managerial. Um, I, I would say also that the trade unions actually in the UK, at least, have been at the forefront of pushing menopause in the workplace as an agenda. And they've done some absolutely sterling work. We've wor worked closely with TUC Education. Um, the TUC in general has issued guidance long since. And TUC Wales have produced one of the best toolkits I've ever seen, which advises both women and their employers about you know, how the menopause can be tackled, if you like, at work. I would just like to say one other thing as well, which is that um, menopause isn't something that all always happens to people who identify as women. Um, so some transgender men and people who identify as gender non-binary or gender fluid or, and, and so on um, will also go through menopause. And I think that's something that we know almost nothing about. Professor Joe Brewis and Dr. Louise Newson, thank you very much for your time and for talking about this, this complex subject. Uh, I hope you, our listeners, have found this um, of interest. And if you want to find out more about their work or about this subject more generally, you can find links on the web page of this podcast, which is on the ILO website. So for now, thank you for listening and goodbye. I hope you will join us again soon for another edition of the ILO's Future of Work podcast. Goodbye. Thank you.